trying to free your mind, Neo. But I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. everyone to the Origins Podcast. This is your host Paul and this is episode 118. This show is entitled The Curious Beginnings of Five Common Surgical Tools. Think surgery is painful now. Imagine it before anesthesia. Surgical stapling and anaesthesia are common sights in a modern operating room. But it wasn't always that way. Some of these tools and processes have interesting and downright weird origins. Long before they could be found in every operating room in the world. From the www.mnn.com website, The Curious Beginnings of Five Common Surgical Tools. And it's written by Greg Vokes. Nitrous oxide. Dental surgeries before the 1840s were particularly painful because even the most basic forms of anaesthesia had yet to be discovered. Thankfully, a travelling sideshow would provide the inspiration for this badly needed necessity. Horace Wells first spotted the possibility for nerve-numbing gases in 1844 at a travelling circus show where he witnessed members of the audience turn into giggling morons simply by inhaling large doses of nitrous oxide, also known as laughing gas. Wells tested his discovery on one volunteer patient by extracting a tooth after putting him under with the gas and found that the volunteer did not feel any pain during the extraction. He later had the gas tested on himself with similar success and proclaimed it as a new era in tooth pulling. Absorbable Sutures The pioneering Muslim surgeon Al-Zarawi invented many of the most basic tools used by surgeons. His dissolving sutures, however, provide easily the most interesting discovery story. The 10th century surgeon reportedly discovered that catgut strings served as the perfect internal sutures to repair wounds during surgical procedures. He came across this discovery after his pet monkey accidentally swallowed some of the strings from his lute. He found that they dissolved naturally in the body without any side effects or internal injuries. His discovery also served as the perfect material for making medicinal capsules. General Anesthesia Henry Hill Hickman, one of the earliest experimenters in anesthesia, blazed an interesting path in the field with his strange experiments, one of which led to less lethal consequences. 
Hickman discovered the numbing properties of carbon dioxide by anaesthetizing animals and removing their limbs to see how they reacted to the pain. Of course he failed to realise that carbon dioxide could have deadly consequences if carbon-based life forms inhale too much of it. His findings were widely criticised and his subsequent scientific endeavours weren't pursued, but he posthumously earned recognition as one of the founding fathers of anaesthesia. Surgical Stapling Surgical staplers have been part of surgical technologists' toolbox since as far back as the early 1900s. But the earliest devices were as cumbersome and as complicated as the operation itself. The first known prototype of the surgical stapler was invented by Humer Holte, a Hungarian surgeon who is known as the father of surgical stapling. His invention weighed a hefty eight pounds and required two hours of preparation. It also took several hours to fully staple a wound shut since it required an iron set of hands to keep the cumbersome device steady enough to make a straight staple line. Skin glue. Stitching and suturing, the long time standard for closing wounds, were recently replaced by skin glue. However, long before stitching became the standard, the more recent innovation in surgical technology got its start. Dr. Harry Coover, a scientist for Kodak Laboratories in the 1940s, was trying to concoct a solution for clear plastic to affix gun sights to the barrels of rifles. One solution called cyanoacrylates came close to achieving this goal, but was tossed aside as unfit for production. Six years later he revisited his formula to create plastic that could be made into airplane canopies and found that it made a very strong adhesive. Later in the 1960s he submitted an application to the Food and Drug Administration to use his super glue on injured soldiers to seal wounds in the field. His solution was battle-tested on wounded soldiers during the Vietnam War with great success. However, Coover didn't obtain approval for use on civilians until 1998 when the FDA approved it for use in stateside hospitals and surgical procedures. The past decade has seen remarkable progress in the field of medicine. Some scientists with the International Human Genome Project released a rough draft of the human genome to the public in the year 2000. The impact of science and technology on medicine has arguably been more salient than ever. New discoveries and inventions have opened up new possibilities in both the treatment and prevention of human sickness. So far that diseases that were once instant death sentences like cancer and HIV AIDS, while still potentially fatal, a little less horrifying. Sickness of course still exists and so do the material burdens of medicine. 
Over the past 30 years, America's healthcare system has seen the steady increase in consumer costs that have marginalised consumers and burdened states. The US Census Bureau reported that a record 50.7 million residents, or 16.7% of the population, were uninsured in 2009. With each new discovery, the possibility of saving citizens millions of dollars in treatment or ensuring preventative measures against formerly rampant illnesses become more apparent. In recent years, a handful of discoveries have provided glimmers of hope for both effective and affordable health care. Here, a list of seven recent discoveries that could revolutionise medicine. From the www.fastcompany.com Seven recent discoveries that could revolutionise medicine. And it's written by J.D. Rucker. Number one, disarming HIV. HIV AIDS kills around 1.8 million people a year and ranks as the third leading cause of death in low-income countries. But a recent study in the journal Blood presents a potentially new way to combat the disease. Instead of killing the virus, make the body resistant to it. When a person is infected, the body's innate immune system provides an immediate but flawed defence. HIV takes its membrane or skin from the cell that it infects. Researchers led by scientists at Imperial College London and Johns Hopkins University exposed HIV by removing cholesterol from this cellular wall, producing a large hole in the virus's membrane and making it permeable, which in turn led to a stronger adaptive response orchestrated by immune cells. While researchers have lengths to go before they can even think to announce a cure for HIV, this breakthrough could drastically reduce the amount of resources devoted to treating and combating the disease and provide insight into fighting similarly complex diseases in the future. Number 2. A Common Cause of ALS Amyotrophic Lateral Sclerosis often referred to as ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, is a fatal neurodegenerative disease that paralyzes its victims. For years, the underlying disease process has long eluded scientists and prevented development of effective therapies. But a new Northwestern Medicine study for the first time has identified a common cause of all forms of ALS. The basis of the disorder is a broken-down protein recycling system in the neurons of the spinal cord and the brain. Optimal functioning of the neurons relies on effective recycling of the protein building blocks in the cells. In ALS, that recycling system is broken. The cell can't repair or maintain itself and becomes severely damaged. The discovery by Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine researchers published in the journal Nature could herald the end of one of the biggest medical mysteries of the 20th century. Number 3. Cellular Leapfrogging Recently scientists developed a method of leapfrogging cells or transmuting existing cells into a totally new form. Fully mature liver cells from laboratory mice have been transformed directly into functional neurons by researchers at the Stanford University School of Medicine. It is the first time that cells have been shown to leapfrog 
from one fundamentally different tissue type to another. These liver cells unambiguously cross tissue type boundaries to become fully functional neural cells. Such an advance could prove essential in generating essential cells for an ailing patient or transmuting potentially dangerous or cancerous agents into benign cells. Number 4. Breakthroughs in Stem Cell Research Probably no area of research has fired the public imagination and ignited the fires of public controversy as much as stem cell research. But the clinical advances, even when they have come from pilot studies, have been tantalising. In 2009, European researchers genetically manipulated bone marrow cells taken from two seven-year-old boys and then transplanted the altered cells back into the boys and apparently arrested the progress of a fatal brain disease. Now, scientists can make embryonic-like stem cells directly from skin cells, which makes it possible to model a multitude of human diseases. New drugs based on stem cells are being developed, and the first human clinical trial based on products of human embryonic stem cells is expected in 2011. With the cheap and effective means of manipulating stem cells within reach, new options are opening up for researchers looking to generate new tissue in a lab setting, which could radically change the way Americans' organ donor system functions. Number 5. Harnessing Information Technology One of the unseen burdens of modern healthcare is the sheer wealth of data. Charts, blood cultures, past history... All of this information is increasingly essential in diagnosing and preventing deadly diseases. And modern medical institutions are struggling to find ways to manage and efficiently utilise available data. Doctors say the internet and new information technology, and yes, even the iPad, has actually changed the way they practice medicine for the better. Gone are the days wasted in a medical library looking for topics writing down the references, going to the stacks and pulling the volumes of journals. Now, medical records, case files and volumes upon volumes of crucial medical information and references are available at the swipe of a finger. Not only is this essential in solving complex medical problems, but also in terms of making patients safer by cataloguing blood types, recoding the administration of vaccines, tracking medical histories and more. Number 6. Synthetic Cells While cellular leapfrogging and stem cell manipulation are remarkable advances, Dr J. Craig Venter, co-mapper of the human genome, took the process one step forward by creating life in the lab and developing totally new synthetic cells in 2010. Generated from a painstaking process of stitching together the chemicals that compose DNA, Venter synthesised the entire genome of a bacterium, which was inserted into a cell and was able to replicate. Venter hopes his findings will be the first of a long line of lab-made creatures in synthetic biology. Synthetic cells aren't a purely medical miracle. 
by mixing and matching genetic material into viable combinations, Venta is already generating organisms that may serve as new types of biofuel. But health-related applications are apparent. Scientists could speed up flu vaccination production by keeping artificial versions of different viral strains of influenza, for example, or generate brand new strains of diseases to experiment on if the original host is inaccessible or spoiled. For researchers, the experimental possibilities are endless. And finally, number seven, robot surgeries. In late 2007, the surgeons at the Cleveland Clinic began removing kidneys through a single incision in the patient's navel. Using tiny metal hands carefully manipulating sutures deep inside a patient's body seems like something pulled from science fiction. But that robotic surgery is occurring daily in a growing number of centres across the country. The great benefit of tiny openings into the body rather than large incisions made by traditional surgery may, believers say, be shorter and less painful recovery time. Doctors have also used robotic surgery to improve the accuracy of procedures, especially in cancer cases. Robotic surgery increased the ability of cancer surgeons to get clean margins as well due to the magnification of the structures. Robotic tools also offer the potential for surgeons to operate on patients remotely, which would reduce the costs of travel and other barriers towards receiving specialised care. While critics say the cost of the robotic hardware may outweigh the benefit, the potential for smoother, more efficient and less invasive surgeries bodes well for patient safety and overall medical costs. They dote on their grandchildren, offer a treasure trove of wisdom and provide an invaluable babysitting service. But it seems grandparents have a more crucial role, survival of the species. From the www.dailymail.co.uk The key to how mankind evolved so quickly, having our grandparents around. And it's written by Fiona McRae. Their practical and financial support helps keep youngsters fit and healthy, while their love and ability to listen helps children and teens get through difficult periods, such as the divorce of their parents. The conclusions come from Swiss and Australian researchers who analysed previous studies from around the world to pin down the role of grandparents. Several studies have linked grandmothers in particular with survival of the species. For instance, an analysis of records from Finland found that children whose grandmothers were still relatively young when they were born were likely to live longer than youngsters with more elderly grandmothers. A maternal grandmother, a child's mother's mother, is particularly nurturing. This could be because they can be more certain than any other grandparent that the child is part of their genetic line, with DNA that has not been tainted by affairs 
and so worth the investment. Maternal grandfathers produce the second highest level of care, followed by paternal grandmothers. Paternal grandfathers generally show the least interest, the journal Psychological Science reports. University of Western Australia researcher David Cole said grandparents may also be motivated by the thought of having someone to take care of them when they grow old. In this case, they will shower their attention on the grandchildren whose parents are most likely to reciprocate in the future. Children don't just benefit from better physical health if a grandparent is around. The emotional support can also be of high value. Dr Cole said that studies show that grandparents can act as buffers, shielding youngsters from the fallout of divorce and troubled marriages. Grandparents also benefit with a study finding that grandmothers who babysat were more likely to exercise in the years to come. But parents should not take advantage, with studies suggesting that too many hours of childcare can leave grandparents exhausted as well as short of time and money. And from the www.mnn.com website, the Mother Nature Network, extinct giant sponges once used as bathtubs are rediscovered. It's the sponge that takes the idea of a sponge bath to a whole new level, the giant Neptune's cup. First discovered in 1822, these sponges once grew so large that they were commonly used as bathtubs for children. However, that handy use quickly led to over-harvesting, and the last time anyone saw one alive was in 1908. Many believed the sponges had become extinct. That was until March of this year, when biologists, doing a routine survey dive along Singapore's coast, spotted something that none of them could immediately identify. Of course they couldn't. A living Neptune's cup sponge hadn't been spied for more than a hundred years. But there it was, two of them in fact, just 50 metres from one another. Sponge expert Lim Sui Cheng, author of the book A Guide to Sponges of Singapore, was called in to confirm the finding according to a report by Scientific American. My heart skipped a beat when I saw it in Singapore waters this year, Lim recently wrote on his Facebook page, after positively identifying the sponges as Neptune's cups. With diameters measuring 30 centimetres across, the pair of newly discovered sponges are tiny compared to legend, which described heights of more than a metre and diameters wide enough to hold a bathing human. These new discoveries are just babies, say scientists, but they are growing fast, and their presence may indicate that a more stable population exists nearby. The presence of two young Neptune's cup sponges within a surveyed area of 50 metres by 50 metres signals hope that more are present within the area, says marine biologist Corrine Tun, one of the scientists who'd rediscovered the species. 
More importantly, it points to the possibility of adult populations present within Singapore's coastal waters. Finding this pair of live specimens also means that scientists can study their ecology for the first time as well as learn about how they can be conserved. Now that we have the opportunity to study the biology and ecology of this impressive sponge and learn about its life cycle, says Tun, we have already had the first surprise. The Neptune's cup was thought to be a very slow-growing species. However, between our last visits in April and August, respectively, it has grown several centimetres. Looks like we might have to rethink some of these ideas. And also from the Mother Nature Network, scientists are baffled after finding fossil remains of 75 whales that died within yards of one another more than a kilometre away from the sea. While working on a highway widening project in the middle of South America's Atacama Desert, Chilean workers unearthed an eerie scene that had no business being more than a kilometre away from the ocean. A mass fossil graveyard containing more than 75 ancient whales. Finding whale bones in the middle of the desert is strange enough, but scientists were quick to notice a deeper mystery. The fossils ended up right next to one another, some mere metres apart, as if to suggest that the whales all died at once, possibly during some cataclysmic tragedy. What could have happened? That's the top question, said Mario Suarez, director of the Paleontological Museum in the nearby town of Caldera. According to Nicholas Pienson, curator of fossil marine mammals at the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History, the whales probably died between two and seven million years ago, during a time when the area would have been a lagoon-like environment, much different than the desert landscape that it is today. The real mystery then has less to do with how the whales got there and more to do with why they died. Could they have beached themselves after becoming disoriented in the shallows? Perhaps the lagoon had become separated from the sea by a landslide, earthquake or storm, trapping the whales within. Maybe there was something else about the lagoon that made it a whale trap. Right now, scientists aren't sure. There are many ways that the whales could die, and we're still testing all of those different hypotheses, says Pienson. But he added... I think they died more or less at the same time. Of the 75 whales that have been discovered so far, 20 of them represent perfectly intact skeletons, making the site one of the best preserved fossil beds from that time period along the west coast of South America. Most of the fossils are baleen whales that measure about 25 feet long and one startling fossilised scene depicts two adult whales with a juvenile between them a possible family group. Researchers have also discovered fossils of other unusual creatures at the site, including a now-extinct dolphin that had two walrus-like tusks, an extinct aquatic sloth and an ancient seabird with a 17-foot wingspan. All in all, the site represents a remarkable snapshot of the ecosystem millions of years ago. Although officials have asked that fossils that rest along the path of the widened Pan-American Highway be moved out of the way, 
the Chilean government has declared the site a protected area. We have a unique opportunity to develop a great scientific project and make a great contribution to science, said Suarez. Well, we all know that money may be the root of all evil, but it's sort of a necessary evil. So why not make this necessary evil attractive to look at? In Australia, we did it back in 1988. From the news.discovery.com website, an article by Jesse Emsbach. Canadians will pay with plastic bills. Canadians will all be using plastic to pay for their purchase. Not necessarily cards either. The Bank of Canada unveiled its new polymer banknotes recently. Plastic money is nothing new. Several countries use it. The Australians were the first in 1988. But these notes are a bit different. The bank's scientific advisor, Martine Warren, told Discovery News they were designed to be secure well into the future, even taking into account the evolution of counterfeiting technology. Some of the security features are in the hologram, which appears on the front side next to the picture of the former Prime Minister, Robert Borden. When the hologram is tilted, the colour of the picture changes. The hologram appears in a window that has a metallic portrait matching the one on the bill. Warren noted that there were two different printing technologies used to make that image, which makes it more difficult for a counterfeiter to duplicate. The metallic portrait is itself a key feature. Humans are really good at picking out faces, Warren said. The photo quality portrait takes advantage of the fact that a person will spot something wrong with it instantly. Other security features include hidden numbers which appear in the maple leaf shaped figure on the left. They will show the denomination of the bill. They're also green, in the environmental sense that is, not colour. After they've passed their prime, the bills will be recycled into something besides new money because the ink has to stick well and it won't on recycled plastic, Warren said. The first bills introduced will be the $100 with the $50 in March and the $20 later in the year. The rest of the denominations, $10 and $5, will follow in 2013. Canada no longer prints $2 bills, replacing them with coins in 1997. Another reason for the change to polymer is durability. The new bills are a lot harder to tear. Warren noted that even when folded, the bills will return to their former shape. And they're also washing machine proof, though putting them in the hot dryer is probably not a good idea. As noted in the article, Australia has had the polymer notes for a long time now, and they have proved to be extremely durable. Not only are they different sizes to help with people with limited vision, of course, they're also different colours and very attractively designed. Some people think they look a bit like play money. 
And similarly to Canada, we no longer have a $1 or $2 note either. They were replaced before the polymer currency came out with $1 and $2 coins. And we also have no $0.02 cent or $0.01 cent coins anymore. $0.05 cent is the minimum these days. Now to our friends in the United States. I know it's great to have greenbacks, especially if you're lucky to have lots and lots of them. But from an aesthetic point of view, compared to the polymer money guys, they're really, really boring. Sorry to say it. Whilst preparing this podcast, I came across three websites that I think many listeners would find quite interesting. The unfortunate part about it is that because this is an audio podcast, the visual aspect doesn't work very well. So if you have time, it would be good to visit the show notes at www.origins.info, click on the link to episode 118, and then on the link to these three articles. They either have video photography or drawings, which I think many of you will find quite interesting. The first one came from the www.visualnews.com website, and what it is is some drawings that are entitled The Future Technology of the Old USSR, and it's by Stephen Shopman. Until 1989, the USSR was a dominant world superpower. However, their communist system kept tight reins on what could go in and out of the country. Starting in 1957, the space race between the USA and Russia had the two countries competing for supremacy in space exploration. This competition led both countries to push innovation and science in education. Because both countries helped foster innovations in science and technology at such a rapid rate, many inventions were created as spin-offs of the technologies originally meant for the space programs. While the Soviet Union was communist, they still had many of the same pieces of culture that the US did, like magazines for the science-obsessed. Similar to the US-based popular science magazine, the USSR had their own. These covers are from the Journal of Technology in Russia during the 1960s. And there's quite a few to have a look at, so if you get a chance, visit the show notes, have a look at them. It's amazing how something that's supposed to be so futuristic now actually looks old-fashioned. A bit like watching old episodes of Star Trek. And the second thing I'd like to direct your attention to is at the Vimeo.com website. And it's actually a time-lapse view of the Earth from space. And it's by Michael Koenig. What it is is time-lapse sequence of photographs taken by the crew of Expeditions 28 and 29 on board the International Space Station from August to October. 
who, to his knowledge, shot the pictures at an altitude of around 350 kilometres. The video is quite high quality and it's really worth a look if you're interested in that sort of thing. And the third thing I'd like to direct your attention to comes from the www.universetoday.com website. And it's entitled, The Moon As You've Never Seen It Before, and it's by Nancy Atkinson. You're looking at a brand new view of the lunar far side as never seen before. The team from the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter has released the first version of a topographic map of nearly the entire moon from data from the wide-angle camera on the spacecraft. This amazing map shows you the ups and downs over nearly the entire moon at a scale of 100 metres across the surface and 20 metres or better vertically, said Principal Investigator Mark Robinson, writing on the LORC website. Despite the diminutive size of the WAC, it fits in the palm of one's hand, that's the wide-angle camera for short, its images nearly the entire moon every month. Every month? So why is this a new map, since the LRO has been in lunar orbit since mid-2009? Robinson said that each month the moon's lighting changes, so the WAC methodically builds up a record of how different rocks reflect light under different conditions and adds to the LROC library of stereo observations. So if you're interested, go to the show notes, have a look. It's in an enhanced colour and it's really quite clear. Quite interesting. When I first encountered this article, that is the title of the article, I thought it might have been something obscure, some obscure manual that Popeye may have written. But once getting into the article I realised that I was somewhat mistaken and I should have taken it just on face value. From the ecosalon.com, 20 unusual uses for olive oil and it's by Stephanie Rogers. Life without olive oil would be sad indeed. Since antiquity, this miracle substance has been revered for its wonderfully fruity flavour. But it's so much more than a healthy topping for salad and a heavenly dip for fresh baked bread. Olive oil has dozens of unusual uses around the house, not to mention its powerful moisturising and healing properties on the hair and skin. Check out 20 reasons why you should never be caught without it. Paint cleanup. When your hands are covered in paint, sap or any other sticky substance that's hard to remove, try scrubbing them with olive oil and a little salt or sugar. The paint will come right off and your skin will be soft and exfoliated. Uh, here's one that I'm not going to try, but some of the listeners may. Eye makeup remover. 
Even the heaviest drag show worthy makeup job can't stand up to the removal power of olive oil. Dab a little on a cotton pad and your eyeshadow, eyeliner and mascara, including waterproof formulas, will wipe right off. Furniture polish. Olive oil helps remove dust from furniture and gives it a shine. Add a teaspoon to a quarter cup of lemon juice and you've got a non-toxic petroleum-free polish that also gently cleans wood surfaces. Skin moisturiser. You might think that using olive oil as a moisturiser will leave you with oily skin, but that's not the case. Used in small amounts, it seeps in completely, eliminating dryness and reducing the appearance of wrinkles without clogging pores. Shoe polish. What exactly is it in shoe polish that has such a headache-inducing smell? It could be any number of potentially toxic ingredients. Banish them from your house and use olive oil instead. Just buff onto your shoe leather with a cloth. Hinge lubricant. WD-40 shouldn't hold a monopoly on squeaky door hinges when simple, natural olive oil works just as well. Wipe it on with a cotton ball or use a spray bottle to lubricate the hinge and eliminate the annoying creak. Bath oil. Add a few drops of your favourite essential oils to three to four tablespoons of olive oil and you've got a custom bath oil that will gently scent and moisturise your skin. Stainless steel shine. Olive oil alone will buff stainless steel and brass surfaces to a brilliant shine. Just wipe off any debris and allow the surfaces to dry completely. Then pour a little oil onto a clean, soft cloth. Buff in circular motions with firm pressure. A smooth shave. Slick and moisturising, olive oil will help your razor glide along your skin for a super close, smooth shave with fewer nicks. I should get a job on TV commercials. Throat soother. Got a big singing performance or a speech coming up? Swallowing a tablespoon of olive oil just before you step on the stage and you won't have to clear your throat nearly as often. This trick also works to soothe itchy throats and lubricate the back of the mouth and tonsil area, which may lessen snoring. And there's still more to come for this wonder stuff. Hair treatment. Sure, you could buy a fancy commercially prepared hot oil treatment for your hair, or you could just grab the bottle of olive oil that's already sitting on a shelf in your kitchen. Add a few tablespoons of warmed olive oil to damp hair, massage into the scalp and rub through the ends, then leave it on for 30 minutes to an hour. The oil will clean and condition the scalp, soften the hair and help the cuticles lay down flat for a sleek look. Oh my god, it's also good for the ears. Earache relief. A little warm olive oil is a fast, effective means of relieving painful earaches. Just place the bottle in a bowl of warm water for a few minutes, then pour a few drops into the affected ear. To cure ear infections, infuse the olive oil with a crushed clove of garlic. Strain the garlic out and drip into the ear. Sticker remover. Dab olive oil onto a sticker or label. Let it sit for a few minutes and the sticker will peel right off. No scraping needed, no annoying residue left behind. Good gracious. Lice treatment. Olive oil has long been a preferred natural treatment to eliminate dreaded head lice. 
It reportedly helps to dissolve the exoskeleton of these little parasites and smother the ones that are resistant. Pour it onto dry hair liberally. Comb out any visible lice with a knit comb and then leave it on under a shower cap for up to eight hours. Follow by coating the hair in apple cider vinegar, leave it on overnight, shampoo as usual, then comb out any remaining eggs. Oh, here's one for your cat. Hairball prevention. Nobody likes the sound of a cat loudly hacking up a hairball, especially since it always seems to happen when you're trying to eat or sleep. Help it pass through your cat's system more easily by adding one quarter of a teaspoon of olive oil to his or her food each day. Lamp fuel. A blizzard just hit, the power's out, and you realised you're out of batteries and candles. Don't just sit around in the dark. No, you grab your bottle of olive oil, because by now you should know that it's an absolute essential in your life, and use it to fuel a lamp. You can purchase specially made olive oil lamps or simply pour it into a glass jar, poke a hole in the jar lid and insert an oil lamp wick. Ah, and here's a troublesome one. Good solution for this one. Chewing gum remover. When your child comes home from school with a mass of sticky pink bubble gum in her hair or you find yourself the victim of a wayward wad, you don't have to resort to any crazy tricks or gasp. Scissors to get it out... Apply olive oil to the gum and the surrounding hair, leave it on for 5 to 10 minutes, and then pull the gum out. Leather conditioner. Just as it cleans and restores leather shoes, olive oil can be used to recondition cracked dry leather items like baseball gloves, car seats and saddles. It takes a little bit longer to fully penetrate the leather than most conventional conditioners, but it works. Psoriasis and Diaper Rash Treatment Olive oil soothes itchy, burning, irritated skin and may help rashes heal. Apply it to a baby's diaper rash or directly to any eruptions on your own skin for quick relief. Consuming olive oil on a regular basis may also be helpful in the treatment of mild to moderate psoriasis. And last of all, a personal lubricant. Maybe Popeye was right. Squeaky hinges aren't the only parts that work better when lubricated. But just because you're in the mood for some slippery fun doesn't mean you should grab a tube of KY. There are lots of safe natural alternatives to potentially toxic personal lubricants, but plain old olive oil will do the trick nicely. Just avoid using it with latex condoms. And while we're into deep and meaningful articles, from the www.filmschoolrejects.com website, 10 Things We've Learned from the Muppets by Kevin Carr. It seems appropriate that Jim Henson's legendary creation, The Muppets, got their start on children's programming and public television because they have a lot to teach the world. 
Not only did they spearhead the low-rent show Sam and Friends on WRC-TV in Washington, D.C., they were also instrumental in making Sesame Street a primary education powerhouse. But even when the Muppets branched out from their roots to land in their variety show and later major motion pictures, they still had a lot to teach us. Like many folks out there, I grew up with the Muppets, and these are some of the most important lessons that I have taken away over the years. And each of these little comments is accompanied with a YouTube video if you wish to visit the show notes at www.origins.info and watch the little video that goes with it. Number 10. The show must go on. The rundown Muppet Theatre was a fledgling enterprise run by Kermit the Frog and his merry band of performers. Unfortunately for Kermit and the gang, he was constantly fighting against budgetary constraints, building disrepair and miserly ownership, which did have the fortune of bringing the owner's nephew Scooter into the fold. But no matter what fate threw at the Muppets, they managed to put together a bang-up show each week, even if Crazy Harry took advantage of the situation. Number 9. Love is Blind Forget falling in love Romeo and Juliet style with someone from the other side of the tracks. Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy fall in love with each other from the opposite sides of biology. They're not just different species, they're from completely different scientific classes. Kermit from class Amphibia and Piggy from class Mammalia. We humans have more genetically in common with a platypus than Kermit does with Piggy, but they don't care. They're in love, and that's all that matters. 8. No one should be above making fun of themselves. As much as The Muppet Show featured some fantastic guest stars and brilliant performers, everyone was game to have a little fun with their image and reputation. The beauty of The Muppets is they mixed tender and sweet with self-deprecating humour. For every Turn the World Around musical number with Harry Belafonte, there's big-name stars making complete fools of themselves. Case in point, check out Mark Hamill guesting on The Muppet Show in 1980 while at the top of his game during the release of The Empire Strikes Back. Yep, he's probably as high as a kite in this scene, but it still showed off his sense of humour. 7. Real artists aren't always appreciated. Before Gonzo became the George Clooney of chickens, he began his career as an out-of-the-box performance artist. Even against the ridiculous backdrop of The Muppet Show, he was never seen for the artistic genius that he is today. Back in 1976, this sad-eyed performer was often booed off the stage by those he dismissed as yokels and philistines. Number six, great songs don't have to make any sense. Have you ever caught yourself humming a catchy tune or even singing it and suddenly realise you have no idea what it's about? Whether it's misunderstood lyrics like Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA or Green Day's Good Riddance, music is often more about the feeling it brings up than the actual message of the lyrics. And sometimes nonsensical lyrics are all you need to get across a certain feeling. With the revival of The Muppets and the new film, this song has come back into the mainstream. 
I dare you not to be humming it for days after listening to it. And if you'd like to listen to what song I'm talking about, you'll just have to visit the show notes. Number five, hecklers are funny, but leave it to the professionals. One of the funniest running gags in The Muppet Show was the acerbic comedy stylings of box seat patrons Statler and Waldorf. They had some of the funniest lines in any show and they are as legendary today as Kermit, Piggy and the rest of the gang. But keep in mind that just because these guys have some great lines doesn't mean you should be trying this out at your local entertainment venue. Number four. Dignity is important. One extremely recognisable Muppet, though one who doesn't always immediately come to mind, is Sam the Eagle. Designed as a send-up of the staunch patriot, Sam showed us the folly of archaic thinking and how nostalgia doesn't always mesh with reality. Yet as much as he honours his country, Sam also honours the Muppets. You'll know he'll be there to back up this crazy gang of performers, even if they live in what he considers depravity. Number three, face your enemies. When Kermit the Frog was on his cross-country trip from the swamp to make it big in Hollywood, he was pursued relentlessly by the villainous Doc Hopper. And while he tried to avoid confrontation for reasons of sanity and safety, there came a time when he had to stand up against his nemesis. The hiring of a professional frog killer can do that thing to an amphibian. And even though he was just a frog, Kermit faced it like a man. Number two. It's okay to cry in movies. With the possible exception of Pixar, there are few groups of movies that are so effective at making its audience cry. In many of the Muppet cases, the performers are able to capture a moment with a well-placed song that touches something deep inside us. The Muppet movie is loaded with these moments, as is The Muppet Show, but none of them quite hit home with me as Gonzo's rendition of I hope to go back there someday. And finally, most importantly, number one, follow your dreams. Yes, this is a big of a no-brainer, and it's as cliché as can be. But just because something is cliché doesn't mean that it's not a wonderful message. The entire existence of the Muppets has been about using song, dance, comedy and general entertainment to make the world a better place. That may not be everyone's dream, but it's a noble one. But beyond just making us happier, the Muppets inspire us to follow our dreams and to bring people along with us if we can. Oh, and there's an honourable mention. Chickens can be sexy. When it's clear that his ambitions as a performance artist wasn't going to pan out, Gonzo got a new pair of eyes and some self-confidence. He then went on to become the McDaddy of all things poultry, and he showed the world that even if they seem unassuming or strange at first, even chickens can be sexy. Thank you.
The question is, who cares? from the damninteresting.com website, an article by Alan Bellows. The Ice Worm Cometh In 1887, a glacial geologist named George Frederick Wright was hiking across the Muir Glacier in southeast Alaska when something strange caught his eye. Just as the daylight began to fade, the previously uninterrupted expanse of white snow around him began to develop what appeared to be a five o'clock shadow. These wriggling whiskers grew rapidly and emerged from the solid ice, leaving the snow crawling with an astonishing number of small black worms. 
Within approximately an hour, there were tens of thousands of them, crisscrossing the snow as far as he could see, leaving nary a square inch unwormed. A few hours later, they began to slip effortlessly back into the ice, ultimately leaving nothing but pure white snow behind for the morning sun. The ice scientists brought news of these strange ice worms back to polite civilization. Yet even over a century later, little is known about the intriguing organisms. The creatures that Wright observed were Mesenchytraeus solifugus, inch or so long ice-dwelling worms that reside exclusively in the coastal glaciers of Alaska, British Columbia, Washington and Oregon. The ice worms are so married to their home glaciers that even when a glacier is surrounded by a snowfield, the creatures will not wander more than a few metres from the underlying glacier's edge. Moreover, these unusual organisms thrive only at temperatures near the freezing point of water. If one warms an ice worm to even a few degrees above freezing, the worm will melt into goo. During the coldest months of the year, the worms do not appear on the surface at all. It is suspected that they creep deep into the ice and suspend their animations for the duration of the winter. Although the ice worms lack eyes, some unknown mechanism allows them to respond to light and dark. By day, the throngs of worms lurk as deep as two metres below the surface, and by night they squirm out to feed. Their preferred foods are bacteria, bits of pollen and various snow algae, including watermelon snow, a pinkish algae which creates swaths of snow that have the hue and aroma of fresh watermelon. Exactly how these worms penetrate the seemingly solid glacier is still a mystery. Some researchers hypothesise that the worms use the large paw atop their heads to excrete a lubricant that allows them to slip through minuscule fissures, while others suggest that the same paw might instead secrete an antifreeze agent that melts a path through the ice. Although the ice worms are usually solitary wanderers in the friscolating dusklight, they do occasionally linger in meltwater pools during the day. There they often intermingle as writhing, knotty groups in what is assumed to be reproductive ice worm orgies. In recent years, NASA has provided limited funding to reverse-engineer the worm's cold tolerance to see if it might prove insight into possible life on our icy neighbouring planets. More pragmatic scientists are also teasing out the ice worm's secrets in hopes that the cold-resistant proteins might enable long-term cold storage of human organ and tissues for transplantation. Sadly, our opportunity to exploit the worms is shrinking just as rapidly as the glaciers they inhabit. Sorry, ice worms, with warmest personal regards. Humanity.
I'd like to say a big thank you to Kevin McLeod and Philip Hunsinger for making a donation to the podcast since the last episode. And also a big thank you to those people who provided feedback for the show. Greatly appreciated, everyone. And if you would like to support the podcast, there are a couple of ways you can do it. One is through a donation by using the donate button at the show notes at www.origins.info or if you'd like to visit the Fine Arts America website, my website that has my photography on it. And if you're interested, you might like to purchase some greeting cards or some prints or some photographs and that sort of thing from the website. Thank you to those members of the podcast community who have already purchased some greeting cards and some prints using that website. Everything helps and thank you for your support. The music for today's podcast came from themusicalley.com and the bandwidth was provided by TalkShoe at www.talkshoe.com. Well, until next time, everyone, it's bye for now.